0: Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another episode of the Innocence Redeemed Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and this week's podcast is titled Misleading Pastors and Prophets. This actually is going to be a two part installment, with the lesson on misleading pastors being the first part. The second part will deal with shining light on the apathy and indifference within the body of Christ. And I'm going to be honest here, guys, this topic is not going to be handled with kid gloves, gently, and painted like a pretty Bob Ross picture of the church as happy little clouds. I said in the very beginning I was not going to sugarcoat the word, and there is no time for playing around with the Lord's sheep, as the times are getting very real. So that said, if you're offended easily, consider it a blessing, as I would much rather people be offended into heaven than be misled and end up in despair. You know, 2 Timothy 4, verses 3-4 through say, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. And indeed, I believe we're seeing that happen now. You know, I've felt for a while now that I'm being led by the Lord to talk about this because there's a real issue right now of pastors and priests not warning the flock about the times we are going into. And as a result, it's leading to much division in the body of Christ. There is a lot of apathy and indifference, and this is a byproduct due to the disagreement and how things are going to play out. Too many of the Lord's sheep are grazing on toxic food that is artificially altered and not spoken in the correct context. Many pastors are sugarcoating to present otherwise from what the Lord told us would be occurring in this season. And for those of you who have been listening to me for a while, I briefly mentioned this in a previous podcast I did titled, Rampant Unbelief and the Consequences Thereof. But I feel the need to further mention it since I have recently come to knowledge of some going through this with their local churches and pastors they have known for many years. Jeremiah 6.14 says, They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. Further, the Lord said in Hosea 4.6, My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since you priests refuse to know me, I refuse to recognize you as my priests. Since you have forgotten the laws of your God, I will forget to bless your children. Simply put, if you consider yourself a minister of the Lord, and you are withholding information that is leading the sheep astray, or only speaking the word in half-truths, then you are misleading the flock. You can't call yourself a pastor if you're not a shepherd. Anyone can claim the role of a preacher. Anyone can preach. It doesn't mean it's correct if you're omitting the word and what it says, if you're offering superficial treatment for the people's mortal wounds. Now what are those mortal wounds? Well... Not speaking out on rampant sin and abominations, for one. Thus, the congregation is being neglected and has no idea what they're doing wrong because the preacher, quote-unquote, is only selling them charisma, peace, and prosperity. You know, stick with me here, guys, because as much as I don't like to make examples due to the lateness of the hour, I feel I'm left with no choice but to speak out about this. The flock is being neglected and uncared for. And it's either due to laziness, omission, or passivity. And therefore, the Lord's people know not what is wrong, because those who are supposed to lead aren't doing so properly. You know, many pastors will turn around and say, well, you know, it's not nice to speak out about these things because you might offend somebody. Or, that tone is wrong. That's not love. Scripture tells us not to have a hardness of heart. So, they'll twist scriptures such as Proverbs 15.1, which says a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare so they won't speak out on it. Baloney. Another one they'll try to misquote and cover up is the gaslighting. You know, you could look at Philippians 4 verse 5 as an example. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Yes, the Lord is at hand, and he despises evil and those who go along with it. Ministers of the word should be on fire with the Lord's message, not this cookie-cutter preaching that only talks of peace and love. You want to talk about the concept of love? The Lord does not love or condone wickedness, period. So by omitting it, you are going along with it just as bad. I spoke of adulterating the word in a previous podcast. There is personal responsibility as a witness of the Lord. You know, you can look at at James 4, verse 4 through 5 as an example of this. Starting on verse 4, You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. So when you represent yourself as a servant to the Lord, you are called to speak out against what is wrong, and furthermore, you are to speak out against that which is a danger to the Lord's people. You are to teach them correctly what is right or wrong. You don't tell people what they want to hear because you're afraid of what they'll think. You are serving Jesus, not yourself. And you are serving his people. You are leading his flock. You are leading the sheep. Matthew 6 verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That verse right there that I just read from Matthew 6, verse 24, that right there illustrates the reason for so much of the deception, condoning sinful behavior or going along to get along for the sake of money. And that, my friends, is what a lot of pastors are doing. Further, Isaiah 5, verses 20 through 21. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. That dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves clever. I'm going to present an example of this later on, but how far has the mainstream church gotten away from preaching the Lord's truth? Then to add insult to injury, when current concerns are being brought forward, they tell their flock to obey, as in Romans 13. You know, perspectives of the law, even though that too is being adulterated. Why are so many pastors using the word against their congregations and leading them astray by omitting parts of the word? Why are many of them setting up their flock to go into captivity, both physically and spiritually? You know, I want to put a reminder out there, and this goes for everyone. Revelation 13, verse 10 says, He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience of, and the faith of the saints. So if you call yourself a Christian, or you are a pastor, you may be doing that directly or indirectly, but whether you know it or not, you're doing it by not speaking out about what is wrong and discussing these things and leading people to the truth. And if you feel a guilty conviction, that should speak to you. That's lying by omission as stated in Leviticus 5 verse 1, where it says, If you are called to testify about something you have seen or that you know about, it is sinful to refuse to testify and you will be punished for your sin. The Lord lays out the consequences for the people and the teachers alike who are not doing his will or misleading his people. Let's take a listen to Jeremiah 23, verses 9 through 40. You know, this is the Lord's warning to those claiming false predictions.
1: The book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, judgment on false prophets. My heart is broken because of the false prophets and my bones tremble. I staggered like a drunkard, like someone overcome by wine, because of the holy words the Lord has spoken against them. For the land is full of adultery, and it lies under a curse. The land itself is in mourning. Its wilderness pastures are dried up, for they all do evil and abuse what power they have. Even the priests and prophets are ungodly wicked men. I have seen their despicable acts right here in my own temple, says the Lord. Therefore, the paths they take will become slippery. They will be chased through the dark, and there they will fall. For I will bring disaster upon them at the time fixed for their punishment. I, the Lord, have spoken. I saw that the prophets of Samaria were terribly evil, for they prophesied in the name of Baal and led my people of Israel into sin. But now I see that the prophets of Jerusalem are even worse. They commit adultery and love dishonesty. They encourage those who are doing evil so that no one turns away from their sins. These prophets are as wicked as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah once were. Therefore, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says concerning the prophets. I will feed them with bitterness and give them poison to drink, for it is because of Jerusalem's prophets that wickedness has filled this land. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says to his people. Do not listen to these prophets when they prophesy to you, filling you with futile hopes. They are making up everything they say. They do not speak for the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise my word, don't worry, the Lord says you will have peace. And to those who stubbornly follow their own desires, they say, no harm will come your way. Have any of these prophets been in the Lord's presence to hear what he is really saying? Has even one of them cared enough to listen? Look, the Lord's anger bursts out like a storm, a whirlwind that swirls down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not diminish until it has finished all he has planned. In the days to come, you will understand all this very clearly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they run around claiming to speak for me. I have given them no message, yet they go on prophesying. If they had stood before me and listened to me, they would have spoken my words, and they would have turned my people from their evil ways and deeds. Am I a God who is only close at hand, says the Lord? No, I am far away at the same time. Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and earth, says the Lord?" I have heard these prophets say, listen to the dream I had from God last night. And then they proceed to tell lies in my name. How long will this go on? If they are prophets, they are prophets of deceit, inventing everything they say. By telling these false dreams, they are trying to get my people to forget me, just as their ancestors did by worshiping the idols of Baal. Let these false prophets tell their dreams, but let my true messengers faithfully proclaim my every word. There is a difference between straw and grain. Does not my word burn like fire, says the Lord? Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? Therefore, says the Lord. I am against these prophets who steal messages from each other and claim they are from me. I am against these smooth-tongued prophets who say, this prophecy is from the Lord. I am against these false prophets. Their imaginary dreams are flagrant lies that lead my people into sin. I did not send or appoint them, and they have no message at all for my people. I, the Lord, have spoken." False prophecies and false prophets. Suppose one of the people or one of the prophets or priests asks you, What prophecy has the Lord burned you with now? You must reply, You are the burden the Lord says He will abandon you. If any prophet, priest, or anyone else says, I have a prophecy from the Lord, I will punish that person along with his entire family. You should keep asking each other, What is the Lord's answer? Or, What is the Lord saying? But stop using this phrase, prophecy from the Lord, for people are using it to give authority to their own ideas, turning upside down the words of our God, the living God, the Lord of heaven's armies. This is what you should say to the prophets. What is the Lord's answer? Or, what is the Lord saying? But suppose they respond, this is a prophecy from the Lord. Then you should say, this is what the Lord says. Because you have used this phrase, prophecy from the Lord, even though I warned you not to use it, I will forget you completely. I will expel you from my presence, along with this city that I gave to you and your ancestors. And I will make you an object of ridicule, and your name will be infamous throughout the ages.
0: So, you know, when you hear Jeremiah 23, 9 through 40, those are some pretty intense warnings the Lord warns of. Especially when he says he will abandon these prophets to their own demise. And when they mention Baal, when, when Baal is mentioned, that's an idol. and For these pastors, that idol can be money. Money can take the place of an idol, and it often does become an idol. So what are some other examples? Well, declaring all will be well, or that they had a dream that they saw peace for everyone. And let me just tell you, anyone who promises such a thing should be held with suspicious regard. You know, there's a lot of traps being laid right now for the Lord's people, and these false promises are causing many of them to stumble. They are the bad figs, and the Lord spoke of the bad figs in Jeremiah 24. Let's take a listen.
1: The Book of Jeremiah, Chapter 24, Good and Bad Figs After King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon exiled Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, to Babylon, along with the officials of Judah and all the craftsmen and artisans, the Lord gave me this vision. I saw two baskets of figs placed in front of the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. One basket was filled with fresh, ripe figs, while the other was filled with bad figs that were too rotten to eat. Then the Lord said to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? I replied, Figs, some very good and some very bad, too rotten to eat. Then the Lord gave me this message. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The good figs represent the exiles I sent from Judah. To the land of the Babylonians, I will watch over and care for them, and I will bring them back here again. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them hearts that recognize me as the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me wholeheartedly. But the bad figs, the Lord said, represent King Zedekiah of Judah, his officials all the people left in Jerusalem, and those who live in Egypt. I will treat them like bad figs, too rotten to eat. I will make them an object of horror and a symbol of evil to every nation on earth. They will be disgraced and mocked, taunted and cursed wherever I scatter them. And I will send war, famine, and disease until they have vanished from the land of Israel, which I gave to them and their ancestors.
0: And these rotten figs, as decreed by the Lord are the ones digging traps for their people. You know, Psalm 35, verses 7 through 8, says, as spoken in context by those of us decreeing it, starting on verse 7, I did them no wrong, but they laid a trap for me. I did them no wrong, but they dug a pit to catch me. So, let sudden ruin come upon them. Let them be caught in the trap they set for me. Let them be destroyed in the pit they have dug for me. You know, this goes for all who mislead false teachers, pastors, and prophets, church or not. The Lord warns he will cause all nations to drink from the cup of the Lord's anger. We hear about that in Jeremiah 25 verses 1 through 18 and then verses 27 through 38. Let's take a listen.
1: The book of Jeremiah chapter 25, 70 years of captivity. This message for all the people of Judah came to Jeremiah from the Lord during the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign over Judah. This was the year when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon began his reign. Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people in Judah and Jerusalem, For the past 23 years, from the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until now, the Lord has been giving me his messages. I have faithfully passed them on to you, but you have not listened. Again and again, the Lord has sent you his servants, the prophets, but you have not listened or even paid attention. Each time the message was this. Turn from the evil road you are traveling and from the evil things you are doing. Only then will I let you live in this land that the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever. Do not provoke my anger by worshiping idols you made with your own hands. Then I will not harm you. But you would not listen to me, says the Lord. You made me furious by worshiping idols you made with your own hands, bringing on yourselves all the disasters you now suffer. And now the Lord of heaven's army says, Because you have not listened to me, I will gather together all the armies of the north under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, whom I have appointed as my deputy. I will bring them all against this land and its people and against the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy you and make you an object of horror and contempt and a ruin forever. I will take away your happy singing and laughter. The joyful voices of bridegrooms and brides will no longer be heard. Your millstones will fall silent, and the lights in your homes will go out. This entire land will become a desolate wasteland. Israel and her neighboring lands will serve the king of Babylon for seventy years. Then, after the seventy years of captivity are over, I will punish the king of Babylon and his people for their sins, says the Lord. I will make the country of the Babylonians a wasteland forever. I will bring upon them all the terrors I have promised in this book, all the penalties announced by Jeremiah against the nations. Many nations and great kings will enslave the Babylonians, just as they enslaved my people. I will punish them in proportion to the suffering they cause my people. The Cup of the Lord's Anger This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup, filled to the brim with my anger, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink from it. When they drink from it, they will stagger crazed by the warfare I will send against them. So I took the cup of anger from the Lord and made all the nations drink from it, every nation to which the Lord sent me. I went to Jerusalem and the other towns of Judah, and their kings and officials drank from the cup. From that day until this, they have been a desolate ruin, an object of horror, contempt, and cursing. Then the Lord said to me, Now tell them, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, drink from this cup of my anger, get drunk and vomit, fall to rise no more, for I am sending terrible wars against you. And if they refuse to accept the cup, tell them, the Lord of heaven's armies says, you have no choice but to drink from it. I have begun to punish Jerusalem, the city that bears my name. Now should I let you go unpunished? No, you will not escape disaster. I will call for war against all the nations of the earth. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Now prophesy all these things and say to them, The Lord will roar against his own land from his holy dwelling in heaven. He will shout like those who tread grapes. He will shout against everyone on earth. His cry of judgment will reach the ends of the earth, for the Lord will bring his case against all the nations. He will judge all the people of the earth, slaughtering the wicked with the sword. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Look, disaster will fall upon nation after nation. A great whirlwind of fury is rising from the most distant corners of the earth. In that day, those the Lord has slaughtered will fill the earth from one end to the other. No one will mourn for them or gather up their bodies to bury them. They will be scattered on the ground like manure. Weep. And moan, you evil shepherds. Roll in the dust, you leaders of the flock. The time of your slaughter has arrived. You will fall and shatter like a fragile vase. You will find no place to hide. There will be no way to escape. Listen to the frantic cries of the shepherds. The leaders of the flock are wailing in despair, for the Lord is ruining their pastures. Peaceful meadows will be turned into a wasteland by the Lord's fierce anger. He has left his den like a strong lion seeking its prey, and their land will be made desolate by the sword of the enemy and the Lord's fierce anger.
0: And the pastors that are spoken about in that clip from Jeremiah 25 that I just played, that's the churches. Those are the churches that are misleading people and the leaders of those churches. And, you know, this message is for someone out there misleading the Lord's people. And I'm sure whoever is meant to hear this message is sitting there scoffing, thinking, well, I'll never be found out. Well, all I can say to you, whomever you are, is that the Lord knows the intentions of everyone's heart, and he knows if you are misleading his people. Take heed in this warning if you fall into this category, as this is very serious. You know, the Lord's not laughing. In Jeremiah 26, Jeremiah was persecuted for delivering the messages the Lord gave him, but they stopped and repented once the prophecy was spoken. And much in the same way now, they're going after people who dare to speak out and tell the truth. And all I can say is, you know, those doing that, be careful because recompense is coming. But... You know, let's take a listen to Jeremiah 26, verses 1 through 19.
1: The book of Jeremiah, chapter 26, Jeremiah's escape from death. This message came to Jeremiah from the Lord early in the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. This is what the Lord says. Stand in the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord and make an announcement to the people who have come there to worship from all over Judah. Give them my entire message, include every word. Perhaps they will listen and turn from their evil ways. Then I will change my mind about the disaster I am ready to pour out on them because of their sins. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. If you will not listen to me and obey my word I have given you, And if you will not listen to my servants, the prophets, for I sent them again and again to warn you, but you would not listen to them, then I will destroy this temple as I destroyed Shiloh, the place where the tabernacle was located, and I will make Jerusalem an object of cursing in every nation on earth. The priests, the prophets, and all the people listened to Jeremiah as he spoke in front of the Lord's temple. But when Jeremiah had finished his message, saying everything the Lord had told him to say, the priests and prophets and all the people at the temple mobbed him. "'Kill him!' they shouted. "'What right do you have to prophesy in the Lord's name that this temple will be destroyed like Shiloh? What do you mean saying that Jerusalem will be destroyed and left with no inhabitants?' and all the people threatened him as he stood in front of the temple. When the officials of Judah heard what was happening, they rushed over from the palace and sat down at the new gate of the temple to hold court. The priests and prophets presented their accusations to the officials and the people. This man should die, they said. You have heard with your own ears what a traitor he is, for he has prophesied against this city. Then Jeremiah spoke to the officials and the people in his own defense. The Lord sent me to prophesy against this temple and this city, he said. The Lord gave me every word that I have spoken. But if you stop your sinning and begin to obey the Lord your God, he will change his mind about this disaster that he has announced against you. As for me, I am in your hands. Do with me as you think best. But if you kill me, rest assured that you will be killing an innocent man. The responsibility for such a deed will lie on you, on this city, and on every person living in it, for it is absolutely true that the Lord sent me to speak every word you have heard. Then the officials and the people said to the priests and prophets, This man does not deserve the death sentence, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Then some of the wise old men stood and spoke to all the people assembled there. They said, Remember when Micah of Moresheth prophesied during the reign of King Hezekiah of Judah? He told the people of Judah, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Mount Zion will be plowed like an open field. Jerusalem will be reduced to ruins. A thicket will grow on the heights where the temple now stands. But did King Hezekiah and the people kill him for saying this? No, they turned from their sins and worshiped the Lord. They begged him for mercy. Then the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had pronounced
0: against them. So we are about to do ourselves great harm. You know, Jeremiah was not killed that day, even though he was persecuted at first. No, Jeremiah spoke and did what the Lord told him to do. He warned of the impending destruction if the priests and the prophets did not stop their sinning. And much in the same way, this podcast is designed to do the same for that person who is meant to hear it, and you know who you are. Now, if you recall back to Jeremiah 24, it presented the message of the bad figs, and that's those who bear the bad fruit or ill-gotten gains, those who mislead, who the Lord warned would be scattered and given over to war, famine, and disease. You see, the Lord is not mincing words when he calls for repentance of these sins. A bad fig, when studied in context with Jeremiah 23, which I played a moment ago, can be a misleading pastor. And there are several out there who do this. But one example are megachurch pastors like Joel Osteen. He's been notorious for putting out controversial statements for years with his charismatic promises and teachings of peace and prosperity. He's also been photographed with questionable celebrities. And I'm presenting him as an example, not because I enjoy doing so, but because he serves as an example and it further demonstrates what the Lord desires his people be on the lookout for. And, you know, as it pertains to the figs, you know them by their fruit, as warned of in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20, when Jesus said, starting on verse 15, Beware of false prophets, who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? There's the figs again, guys. Going on, verse 17. A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Now, keeping those verses in mind, when Jesus warned us, Let's take a listen to a short clip of what a typical message by Mr. Osteen sounds like, and this is typical of all who preach in the same manner.
2: The scripture says Jesus endured the pain of the cross looking forward to the joy that was coming when he was being mocked by the soldiers, beaten with whips, nailed on the cross. He was at a deficit. It looked like the enemy got the best of him. People thought if he is who he really said he is, he'd come down off that cross. He wouldn't be up there defeated. All the circumstances said he was done, but God has the final say. He won't let you get in a problem that he can't bring you out of. The odds may be against you, but the most high God is for you. On the cross, Jesus said, my God, why have you forsaken me? There will be times where it feels like God has forgotten about you. Why did this bad break happen? Why did this person leave? Why did the pandemic hit, slow my business down? If you judge your life by where you are right now, you'll get discouraged, give up on dreams. It's because you're only putting your history on the scale. You're way out of balance. What you're missing is what's coming. You have to endure some things, looking forward to the joy that's on the way. You have to know that God is still on the throne, that he's ordering your steps, that what he started, he's going to finish. No bad break can stop him no person, no pandemic, no loss, no sickness. He sees what's not fair. He sees what didn't work out, the lonely nights, the times you feel forgotten. The psalmist said, weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. Jesus died on the cross. The forces of darkness celebrated, thought they had finally won. But on the third day, God said, I don't think so. My son is not going to end in a deficit. He arose and is alive with all power. The point is, he had to go through some things to fulfill his purpose. I'd rather God make it easy, just float through life with all good breaks, but that's not how it works. You can't become all you were created to be without opposition, things you don't understand, people that turn on you, times it looks like you're done, the way to endure is to keep reminding yourself that what god has in your future is not just going to make up for what you've been through not just bring you back to even but god is going to bring you out better increased promoted healthier to new levels of your destiny he's designed your life to where the good things in your future will outweigh the negative things in your past the scripture puts it this way god has taken you from glory to glory the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter he already has a solution to the problem that's holding you back he's already arranged restoration for that loss a new beginning for that setback promotion for that injustice it's already on the schedule it's just a matter of time before you see the scales tip in your favor Now, when those lies come saying God has forgotten about you, it's never going to work out. You've seen your best days. Just say no thanks. I know a secret. This may be difficult. It's not fair, but this is not how my story ends. Favor is in my future. Good breaks are headed my way. The right people are tracking me down.
0: Now, you might say, well, Ray, what's wrong with what, you know, Mr. Olsteen said? He, uh, he preached the word of God. Yes, he did. But Sly are they when they take out or omit things, or they only do half-truths. I'm going to go through this again. I'm going to play this one more time, because it's only a three-minute clip. I'm going to play it one more time, and I'm going to go through, and I'm going to interject my points in between each thing he says and the true way you ought to be preaching that scripture. Let's take another listen, and this time you're going to hear my commentary with each part where I pause it.
2: The scripture says, Jesus endured the pain of the cross looking forward to the joy that was coming. When he was being mocked by the soldiers, beaten with whips, nailed on the cross, he was at a deficit. It looked like the enemy got the best of him. People thought if he is who he really said he is, he'd come down off that cross. He wouldn't be up there defeated. All the circumstances said he was done, but God has the final say. He won't let you get in a problem that he can't bring you out of. The odds may be against you, but the Most High God is for you.
0: But he's for you if you're living according to his decrees, if you're in repentance. And what Mr. Olstein is not telling his congregation is that the Lord is requiring repentance of this nation right now. It has many sins that are not being addressed. But back to the clip.
2: On the cross, Jesus said, My God, why have you forsaken me? There will be times where it feels like God has forgotten about you. Why did this bad break happen? Why did this person leave? Why did the pandemic hit, slow my business down?
0: No, Joel, it happened because many people are going into a wilderness right now. They're going into a wilderness because the Lord is refining his people before he takes them home. And if they're doing wrong and they're not living in accordance to his word, They're going to be brought down low so that they can recognize God as he is a holy God and he wants his people to be righteous before he takes them home. I've talked about it when I've been on JPH radio as a guest with Glenda Lomax, and I've said the Lord wants his people to repent. He wants them to come to repentance. I have said before it is too late for this nation as a whole. It is on each of us now, and I'm going to be getting to that later on in this podcast, but... Joel Osteen needs to put it into perspective if he's going to be telling his flock why things are happening. And then turning around and saying, well, but he wants better for you. He wants better for you. Yes, he does, but not in the earthly. Going back to the clip.
2: If you judge your life by where you are right now, you'll get discouraged, give up on dreams. It's because you're only putting your history on the scale. You're way out of balance. What you're missing is what's coming.
0: You might give up on your dreams. What dreams? The dreams of living in the new world order? The dreams of living under a medical tyranny in the Great Reset and being enslaved? Or or focusing our thoughts on that which is in heaven, which we're commanded to do? Jesus is returning. And the word is very clear on what happens to those who are not living right. We're supposed to be letting go of the things of the earth not setting up dreams and goals long-term. For we know that we are about to lose what's in the earth. We know things are changing. We know that we're in the end days. Joel, why are you not preaching about this? Why are you not talking about the last days when clearly that's where we are? Why are you leading your congregation to the slaughter? Continue on with the charismatic preaching.
2: You have to endure some things looking forward to the joy that's on the way. You have to know that God is still on the throne, that he's ordering your steps, that what he started, he's going to finish. No bad break can stop him. No person, no pandemic, no loss, no sickness. He sees what's not fair. He sees what didn't work out, the lonely nights, the times you feel forgotten. The psalmist said, weeping may endure for a night,
0: but joy is coming in the morning. Again, Mr. Olstein. What are those things people are going to have to endure? You're making it sound like it's a day at the park that the rain clouds moved in and it's going to go away. There are many, many nasty, nasty things coming for Christians. They just set up camps for those who don't want to take the vaccine. I put a blog up the other day about this. They are going to stage something. I've been saying this. See, nobody's talking about these things. There's no pastors out there that are discussing this. They're not telling their flock that they need to oppose these things. They're not raising their people up, giving them the spiritual empowerment. They're more or less just making them sitting ducks. That's the problem I have. Well, just bear with it. Just bear with it. Just bear with it and go along because you're going to be promised this prosperity. You're going to be promised this. You're going to be promised that. You know, putting it into context. Let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. Folks, are you aware that our enemies are plotting war against this country right now? Folks are going to go through some very trying times, and I'm going to play a clip for you guys later on uh, with David Wilkerson, where he's explaining this. What people are going to have to endure. People need to be doing their own spiritual searching right now. It doesn't matter who you listen to and how good they try to paint the picture of the end days, if they're even talking about the end days. But going back to the charismatic preaching
2: Jesus died on the cross. The forces of darkness celebrated, thought they had finally won. But on the third day, God said, I don't think
0: so. My son is not going to end in a deficit. Why does he keep using that word deficit? I mean, it makes me think that that's why he preaches the way he does. It, it's just to get more money. What, what is he taught? Deficit? He That's the second time in this whole clip. You know, I didn't notice it. I I, th- I thought it was at first. He said that in the beginning. When Jesus was on the cross, that was a deficit. What kind of word? A deficit is a word you use when you're in debt or when you're in the negative on money. That is not used to describe an unfortunate circumstance. I mean, it may be, but I've never heard it used that way. You know, just some of the word, the languages he uses, it's, it's just, it's bizarre, but you know, back to the charismatic preaching.
2: He arose and is alive with all power. The point is he had to go through some things to fulfill his purpose. I'd rather God make it easy. Just float through life with all good breaks, but that's not how it works you can't become all you were created to be without opposition things you don't understand people that turn on you times it looks like you're done the way to endure is to keep reminding yourself that what god has in your future is not just going to make up for what you've been through not just bring you back to even but god is going to bring you out better increased promoted healthier to new levels of your destiny He's designed your life to where the good things in your future will outweigh the negative things in your past.
0: Oh, good grief, stop, Joel. Stop, stop it, stop it, stop it. Tell the truth. Stop promising people prosperity in this time. It's not true. You're speaking in half truth. You're speaking how God is for a greater purpose. Yes, he is. But people are being shown things right now. It is not for promotions some people yes it is but you have to put it into the proper perspective you're not doing that continuing the scripture puts
2: it this way god has taken you from glory to glory the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter he already has a solution to the problem that's holding you back he's already arranged restoration for that loss A new beginning for that setback promotion for that injustice it's already on the schedule it's just a matter of time before you see the scales tip in your favor now when those lies come saying God has forgotten about you it's never going to work out you've seen your best days just say no thanks I know a secret this may be difficult it's not fair but this is not how my story ends favor is in my future Good brights are headed my way. The right people are tracking me
3: down.
0: So that horse dung clip played, you know, you have to see the video, guys. I mean, you, you ought to see it. It's on YouTube. And this only came out two days ago. So this goes to show you these teachers, these pastors, these false prophets are still walking around misleading people by omitting parts of the word and doing it only half the way. You know. They flail their arms about while they're doing their teachings. Like they're trying to put such emphasis on what they say to get people to believe it And their eyes, get bugged out and huge. And it's like, what spirit is in them that I am unaware of or what's he on? Because their actions, they're pretty telling as to what they're doing. You know, Mr. Osteen was on CNN and there was a clip and actually I'm going to play that in this clip. He's getting asked about, well, don't you think that the Bible's outdated? And on one hand, he's coming out saying, well, homosexual marriage is wrong, but yet I'd go to one. Well, which is it, Joel? Do you believe in it or do you not? Because you can't have one foot in and one foot out. Jesus said, I would rather you be hot or cold. Which are you? Because pieces like this are misleading people. And he went on to do a, this This clip is a correction where he went on because The first time he stuck by his convictions, and then the second time he got flack because of what he said. A true pastor who's leading the people is going to preach the word as it is. They are not going to water it down, and they're not going to mince words. And you'll notice I do not do that here. And I call out Mr. Olsteen on this as an example in this teaching, simply because I said in my very first podcast about the divided church, which I also raised this very issue, I said in that podcast, do not make me use you as an example to put across my point. And that's what I'm doing here. Let's take a listen.
4: Is homosexuality a sin
2: in your eyes? Yes, I've always believed, Pierce, the scripture shows that it's a sin. But, you know, I'm not one of those that are out there to bash homosexuals and tell them that they're terrible people and all that.
4: So, I suppose the obvious question is, we did that back in January, has your position changed at all after that? Because it raised a lot of headlines. A lot of controversy. Since then, more states have endorsed same-sex marriage. It's becoming much less of a prohibitive kind of issue than it used to be. What's your view now?
2: You know, Pierce, it really never changes because mine was, mine's based out of the Scripture. That's what I believe that the Scripture says, that, that homosexuality is a sin. So, it, you know, I believed it before, and I still believe it now. Again, I would just reiterate what I said. I'm not, after, I'm not mad at anybody. I don't dislike anybody, but, you know, you know, respecting my faith and believing, you know, in, in what the Scripture says, that's the best way I can interpret it.
4: But, I mean, shouldn't the Scripture be dragged kicking and screaming into the modern age? I mean, we were talking before the break about the issue about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Not everything in the Scriptures, really, is, in my view, conducive to modern life. I mean, like everything else, doesn't it have to move with the times? And isn't it down again to people like you to interpret it in a way that evolves when you're, you're known as a very progressive preacher.
1: Sure,
2: well, we want to be progressive, but some sometimes I just, when I read it, I can't see how you would change that, just like you wouldn't, you know, change some other main things, you know, in the scripture. I just, I don't see how that, you know, if you don't have a basis of truth, and that's what I base mine off of, the scripture, everybody else does not and I don't fault them if they don't. But this is just the way I choose to, to live my life and, and what I teach based out of the scripture. So I don't think, you know, I think, you know, personally, 200 years from now, the Scripture is still going to say that.
4: Yes, but the law of the land may not, and it may not in your state. I and mean, the law of the land is changing fast. And, you, you know, your, your argument about executions was, well, it's the law of the land in somewhere like Texas. What if Texas eventually, in a moment, it's an unlikely place I'd imagine to bring this in, but it may change with enough pressure. Texas brings in a law that same-sex marriage is permissible. How would you feel then if it's the law of the land?
2: Well, you know what? I'm going to respect the law, and I'm going to respect gay people like I do now. You know, have plenty of people that come to our church and, and friends, I would call, that are gay, so I'm going to respect that. I think where it puts a difficult situation is me being a Christian pastor believing the Scripture. You know, it'd be against my faith to marry two gay people. You could never do that. No, it would be against what I believe the Scripture teaches, and so that's where I think the rub comes in of people like myself. It's not that I'm against anybody or you know, if people want to live together, that's up to them. But, but my faith, when we say marriage, I mean, I think about peers all through the Bible. There's you know hundreds of marriages, but none of them are shown as between you know the same sex. And again, I'm not against anything, but I just believe that's what the Bible teaches, and that's how we've chosen to live. Do so you
4: feel a bit uneasy that the sort of the last person I heard speaking like this was Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, who's the president of Iran? who says there are no gay people in Iran, and it's a terrible sin and curse. I mean, Victoria, what do you think of all this, the, the, the gay marriage debate? I mean, could you ever imagine attending a gay marriage between two people who come to your church, for example, if they invited you?
2: Well, I think if it was that easy, then we would have figured it out by now. Hmm. But it's been overthrown, states go
3: for it, and then they overthrow well, it. And it's, so, an invita- so it's very okay. difficult for But accepting for an invitation people.
4: is easy. So would you accept one or not?
3: To, would I accept
4: one? Two gay people who attend your church invite you to their wedding
2: um sure i would go you would well i don't you know if so i had time could you go? i would <laughs> if they were friends of mine yeah.
4: and i respect them i would certainly go you would watch I'll two be. people you think are sinners committing the ultimate sin
2: well i'm looking at it i don't think it's the ultimate sin but i'm looking at it from another point of view of respect to that person and you know it's you know it gets convoluted but i'm looking at it as respect to that person
4: could you could you in your position actually actively encourage people to go through a same-sex marriage could you be seen to do it could you be photographed at such an event well
2: I would, would that not that not cause you problems well you know it, there's it's such a hypothetical I'm talking well, about not really
4: because you said lots of gay people go to your church so it might happen
2: well I haven't been to many weddings lately to begin with but I'm talking about somebody that was you know dear to us i'm not going to disrespect somebody that's dear to us and say you know what you're not good enough for us or something like that that's the way i would see it now i'm not going to just run off and go to attend you know certain marriages just to make a statement because that's not who i am and that's not what i stand for and again i don't look down on those people
0: you know he talks about all the respect in that right there but you know he doesn't push back and say no The Bible should not adapt to the current times. The current times need to go back and adapt to the word. The word says, adapt the old godly way and live in it. No mention of the good news of Jesus, that he can heal this sin if people will seek the Lord. No mention of that. You notice that? And even further, no mention of fornication or shacking up. I mean, are you kidding me? And these are the people misleading the flock. Well, I'm not going to talk about it. Know them by their fruits. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not sitting here trying to condemn Joel Olstein, but he ought to take a good hard look if he's truly a minister of God, what he's putting out there. Because, I mean, I believe that that's a prime example of it right there. I mean, it speaks for itself. I, I don't have to really take that apart any further. And you could say, well, Raymond, aren't you being too harsh? No. No, I'm not being too harsh. That's why we're in the mess we're in, because too many have been misled. They're playing hokey pokey and turning themselves about. While well, judgments are starting to fall. They're offering the superficial treatments for the people's mortal wounds. And that's unacceptable. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. And that's where things are. And that's why I'm hammering this the way I am today. I mean, I'm not going to keep the gloves on. And, I, you know, I'm seeing another thing. I'm seeing posts all over the place with rainbows and, well, we all just need to get together and sing kumbaya and put bygones behind us. You either are... Living in the Lord's ways or you're not. You either believe what his word says or you don't. It's not there's not two barns about it. There's not it's not cookie cutter preaching. You don't say, Well, I don't like this part, so I'm gonna take I'm gonna surgically cut it out, and I'm gonna take this part out because I don't like it either, because it doesn't go along with what's popular and oh, people now may not like me, and oh, they're gonna say things about me I don't like. Well, so be it. And you know, if he couldn't have said those things when he was on Piers Morgan, then he probably shouldn't have gone on that show at all. Because what you put out there is what's going to be – what you put out there, what you say, those words are going to convict you. And you're going to give – everyone's going to give an account for what they say. So, you know, he th- he, if he's wor- more worried about what Piers Morgan and his audience thinks, than he's more worried about God, then uh, let that speak for itself. But that Mr. Osteen was recently pictured – he was photographed with – I think it was a leader of the uh, religious – And I wouldn't even call them religious. They're like a phony band. You know, the group, the Christian group Hellsong, I'm sorry, Hillsong, and Lil Nas X, who just happened to promote shoes last year called Satan Shoes by Nike, where he was going to have human blood in them. This guy, this rapper Lil Nas X, you know, he just did a video also last year, or a performance where he was literally having sex with Satan, gay sex with with the devil. You know, know them by their fruits, guys. I don't want to hear anybody sit here and say, oh, you're judging Mr. Osteen and, oh, you shouldn't be focusing on that. Nonsense. If the, if the kettle's black, so be it. And if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, then it's probably a duck. So will these charismatic pastors who only preach pretty things and puppy dogs and prosperity cause people to fall away? Well, David Wilkerson lays it out pretty clear in this clip and what folks should be doing. And guys, I've talked to you about this before. We're now in the time of weeping, and he speaks of that in this clip. But let's take a listen.
3: Something from God's heart that God gave me this past day, past few days. Uh, The whole world knows what is happening here in the United States. We're in a worst crisis in our history. Uh, And the people everywhere... Especially in New York City where the crisis hangs so heavy Overheads, there's a great fear. I was told that in the stock market after it closes men are collapsing and falling down in fear And it's not just an American problem. It's a European problem. It's worldwide God is doing what he warned us he would do when sins have mounted up into heaven and that's that he would shake everything that can be shaken and the whole world is shaking now with an economic meltdown and it's going to get so frightening that not one of us will be unaffected we're all going to be affected every minister every family christians and unbelievers alike we're all going to feel and see things that are terrifying. And many are going to have their faith shaken. Many are going to abandon their faith. Even when Jesus walked the earth, when hard message came, when hard times came, and he saw many leave him, he said, many, the Bible says, many forsook him. And he turned to his disciples and he said, will you forsake me also? Now. Everywhere I go I hear people saying, Is there a word? What's going to happen next? What is God saying? And I want you to know what I believe God's speaking to my own heart, especially last night as walking and talking with him. I went to the Word of God because the only word is from the Word itself, from God. There's no economist, there's no evangelist, there's no one that can give us the answers. We have to go to the Word, we have to go to the Father. And in First Samuel, 30th chapter, I was, I was moved by the story of David and his 600-man army. They came upon over the hill toward Ziklag, their home base, and it was in ruins. The f- fire had destroyed the city. His wives, all the wives, the children were all taken captive by the Amalekites. And the Bible says that David and his men wept. David was deeply distressed. And his men wept all day and probably through most of the night until they said there were no more tears. Now, let me tell you that you and I, the godliest person hearing my voice, I don't care how famous you may be, I don't care who you may be, when you first see these frightening things come on the earth, there will be that first flash of fear and terror. I picked up one of our national magazines this a few days ago and it had a picture of the world, a man representing the world on the brink of falling into a chasm. And it said the headlines were the world is collapsing and it's in the headlines a great worldwide depression and the first impact when i read that i had a trembling inside i said god so quick so sudden how did this happen even though many of us prophesied about it for years and when it comes and you see it it's so overwhelming and David the Bible said no no let me let me say this if, if you were to say I'm not afraid then you really don't understand the situation it's that first flash of fear there's a time for weeping and God understands that and many of you listening to me now the question is where does this end where does it take it what about the church and its future Bible says David wept until there was no tears left. But then came a time. There comes a time. There is a time for weeping. There is a time that we will tremble. But God understands that. Then there comes a time to fight. David stood up. No more questions. The Bible said he encouraged himself in the Lord. And we have come to a time where every man, every woman, has to get their own word from God. You can't get it from some great voice. You can't get it from someone you think is holier than you. You have to get alone with God. David got alone, and the Bible said he encouraged himself. And you'll hear the voices. But you have to get your own word, as David did. I have to get my own word. I have to shut myself in with God and with this book, and let the Lord speak encouragement to me. Folks, it doesn't matter who prophesied what and when. That's all in the past. That doesn't matter. And you'll hear a lot of prophetic voices saying uh, good days are just ahead. No. We're in that time now that Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea, and all the prophets said the day of God's vengeance and recompense upon the wicked but the prophet Isaiah said but you are safe this is not about God's people now even though he's purging his church this is about having a word from God if you're a pastor your congregation like our congregation coming to church in every service what is God saying what is the word now David had 600 men that couldn't get a word they didn't know how but there are those who've walked with jesus and know that the answer is here and they have to come to the people now with a word of hope a word of encouragement david had the priest abiathar abiathar couldn't help him he had wise men some of the wisest men in the world in his little army they couldn't help him Comes a time nobody can help you, nobody give you a word. But David said to Bartha, bring me the ephod. God spoke through the ephod in those days. And he got a word from the Lord, not from a pastor, not from anyone else. But he got a word of encouragement. God said, yes, I'm going to bring you through. There's going to be a recovery. You're going to know my hand for protection. Now, either this word is true, and I I was walking, and I'm going to close in just a moment, but I don't want to take a lot of your time. I was walking with the Lord last night, and the Lord said, "Uh, David, you've you've preached for 55 years around the world about how God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, and about... uh, the fiery furnace and Hebrew children being delivered. You talk about Daniel being delivered from the lions. Then you talk about all these deliverance for fifty-five years. Now you're facing a test of faith like you've never known it. Was that mockery? Did you, as a minister of the gospel, say all this for fifty-five years and now it doesn't work for you? And and I began to see that the mockers and the scoffers that are coming in the last days will come, some, many, from the church itself. Scoffing in the word, giving up on the word because they, they they, they don't turn to God. They get bitter against God, and that's going to happen. But where are those Davids that will stand up with the word of God? And they've been tested. I have been tested. I've been tested in my family cancer uh, all kinds of attacks out of hell but now god is at work god is this is god's doing by i believe the bible says god has everything under control they these god said don't mock me now don't scoff at my word stand i've given you this word god is going to see his church through I hear people say, well, we're all in the same boat. No, we're not. Well, we're in a boat all right as Christians, but it's called the Ark. It's the Ark of Safety, and God is going to ride his people through this storm. It may be difficult, the boat may shake, and there'll be storms and lightning and thunder, but God keeps his word. God has everything under control, and I ask you as a congregation of ministers and wise to stand to your feet and lift your hands and thank God for his faithfulness He's going to see his church through there's going to be a moving of the spirit God is going to bring those he's going to awaken many many Multitudes he's going to awaken those who have been cold and indifferent He's going to pour his spirit out in the midst of all of this lift your hands stand lift your hands and thank god for his promises and ask god to strengthen your faith to give you a word so that you can stand before your family you can stand before your friends you can stand as david did the whole army of 600 men rose up on one man's faith let that be you god bless you
0: and so that piece right there spoken by david wilkerson goes to show you in contrast, how things are really going to play out. And that's what I've been going through right when I've been talking about who is really standing up for the word, who's really preaching and talking to people and doing, leading them to cover the people's mortal wounds, not offering up false hope, not saying everything's going to be fine, everything's going to just go back to the way it was. God's got prosperity in mind for you. He has this plan in mind for you. I have gone through and said many, many times, things are not going back to the way they were. And as people are walking around, and they're sad because they don't know what's going on, they're not even behaving like Christians. The indifference is off the charts because most of the churches, unfortunately, the reality is they're not speaking reality. That clip that I played earlier from Joel Osteen, in contrast, goes to show you The difference. One brother of mine is attending a church where they don't want to address these things. They want to preach sermons of Jesus walking on the water, but they're not telling the flock to keep their eyes on Jesus in the same way. They're not putting it into context of when Peter sank when he stepped out of the boat to walk on the water toward Jesus because he took his eyes off Jesus and focused on the storm around them. The churches aren't even addressing the storm. You know, the storm clouds, they've been building and building and building now for a long time. It's like, it's almost like a hurricane coming. You know, there's a warning for it. I used to live in Florida, so I can speak to that. And you'll know it's coming. You get a watch issued. You get a warning issued. You have time to prepare. The same way it's happening with the church, with the storm clouds. They're building. The watch has been issued. The watchmen have been warning. And you've had this time where we've been telling you, get yourself right repent from your sins spend time in that word spend time in the lord's word and understand what he wants us to be doing and we don't when we're wandering aimlessly and we don't understand what's already coming because you try to show what's happening here on the earth and people believe it not or they're in denial and then the church is complacent and leading their people to do what is not of the lord or they're not praying the right prayers. They're not seeking. The, the churches are not preaching. Well, this is the reason that A, B, and C, and D are happening. They're not saying it's because of the sin. They'll just simply tell you, well, you shouldn't sin. But they're not actually giving examples of what the word says about sin. They're not preaching from the prophecies of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, others. Crickets. Crickets. And you can listen to a sermon, like the one I played earlier, and you hear the the flock saying, Amen, 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 because all they're saying is the good things. There are a lot of good things the Lord does. I am not discounting that. It's when you omit what is happening. It's when you omit the word, or you're telling half-truths, you're misleading, because you're not giving the full story. You know, now's not a time to be preaching prosperity, peace, and recovery. People who repent are going to be led through the storm. They will be led to victory in Jesus Christ. It isn't a time in the church to be having celebrations of prosperity in the world that is of the earth. If you want to celebrate, celebrate that Jesus is coming back. But, you know, church is not a concert. It's not a coffee hour and donuts. True fellowship is is discussing the things that are really going on and including those who have true concerns and the true solutions as the word pertains to it. And there's a lot of that that's not happening. And because that's not happening, that is what has led to the indifference. That's what said, that's what has led to the hardened hearts that you heard David Wilkerson talking about in that clip. And there needs to be a reckoning of these things. And the same can be said for the tithing. You know, do you support independent ministries? Those of us out there who are actually telling you, you know, good advice, we're giving you the word, we're ministering the things you haven't heard before, you know, we're trying to get you to think about your actions, you know, support those ministries, guys. You know, support Innocence Redeemed, support Just Praise Him, support independent ministries. Because let me tell you something people like Joel Olstein, who run around telling people what their itching ears want to hear while the congregation sits there and says, Amen, 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 all day long and believe in false hope and promises? These people are millionaires. They run these mega churches. Do you really think they care about their congregation? No. They tell you what you want to hear so they can get your tithes, so they can keep their support. And anyone who's out of line, they just don't acknowledge. Anybody who questions their preaching style, they're non-existent. And that's why I've told you before, if you belong to a church... And they never address these things that you hear on Innocence Redeemed, or they never address what you hear on ministries like Just Praise Him or others. You should really, it should raise an eyebrow. You should take a real hard look at that and determine what you're getting out of that. Because the Lord's raising up a lot of different people right now to run end times ministries due to this very fact that He wants His sheep to be fed, because it's not happening in typical, you know, Christian America. You know, that's what the word means when they offered superficial treatments for my people's mortal wounds. I can't tell, you know, I I have to wonder what people are thinking when I do these podcasts. Because there's only a few people I hear from. I have almost a thousand plays on my podcasts. It may not, my message that I have out for a certain week may not be for everyone. And this is yet another point I want to address. When someone emails you, if, do you say thank you to them? If they send you a link, do you say, hey, I'll check it out? Do you acknowledge them? I've heard so many stories lately of the communication breakdown where there's no appreciation for what others do for others. It's like it's not acknowledged. Not everyone wants to be praised. Praise Jesus, but you should do the right thing because you would treat people how you would want to be treated. That is the golden rule. Remember that, guys. But there is a lot of indifference and there's a lot of just silence. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are hurt by it. There's a lot of people hurting, and they're looking for answers, but then they don't reach out. Sometimes, for things to change, we have to take the first step. If we're holding everything in, and we're not seeking help, or we're not asking for it, or we're not wanting a fellowship with fellow Christians, because we, you know, we're told that we should be in agreement with each other. We're told to really love people. So if the church is divided and it's walking around indifference, how is that love? How is that true fellowship? These are hard questions people need to consider asking themselves. They need to reflect on, well, you know, my own actions. That was part of what I talked about. I didn't go into it in great detail, but that's part of what I was talking about when I did the podcast on rampant unbelief and the consequences thereof. Because there's many sitting around, I don't know if people are just sitting around waiting for the rapture or what they're doing. I've seen people reach out for help saying they're lonely, and somebody goes in and answers them and lifts them up, not even so much an acknowledgement of their response. So are you seeking attention, or are you really getting help, and do you appreciate it when somebody actually tries to come in and help you? You know, be considerate. The inconsideration is off the charts, and it's happening all around, you know, Somebody might be needing a service done and there's no calls coming. Nobody calls. Somebody might, you know, provide something for someone if they're in need and there's no acknowledgement. I mean, there seems to be this phenomena of brain fog where people know what they should do, but they don't do it. And then the excuse, I don't have time. It takes, on average, 15 seconds to send an email. That is maybe two sentences, even if you don't have a lot of time, you can at least can acknowledge that person and say, um, hey, you know, thank you for blah, 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 blah. I'll get back to you as soon as I have a chance. But a lot of times nothing gets answered. And, you know, we need to stop making excuses and treating people as Christians. If we're Christians, we need to be walking in our walk. I did a podcast with Tom not too long ago saying we have to push through and be the example that we're supposed to be. And I mention this because there seems to be a lot of opposite to that. And it just so happens I'm working on another podcast where I will be discussing um, the indifference and the apathy. Because there is a lot of that and it does need to be addressed. Because people can't change if they don't know what they're doing wrong. And remember folks, you know, the word says it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And that's in James 4.17. King James Version. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. Luke twelve forty seven. that servant who knows his master's will, but does not get ready or follow his instructions, will be beaten with many blows. So again, guys, remember the golden rule. Matthew 7, verse 12. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So guys, for this week, that's all I've got for you. Tune in next time for part two, where, like I said, I'll be discussing the apathy and the indifference. It's my prayer and hope that what I've said today really gets you thinking, because we need to consider our ways. We need to really be considering how we treat others. If we're really living as Christians, because if we think we are, how wrong we are if we're not actually doing what the word says we should be. Think about that, guys. I know it's hard times, but they get better with a little bit of reflection and the willingness to do what is good and what is righteous. You know, heed this advice. Don't wait for the Lord to put you into a wilderness to correct you because you are doing things without thinking first. These are times where everything that you do is going to matter. And I wrote a piece on that not too long ago. And I actually might be posting that back up as a repost. Because I'm, I've am i been just noticing that this has been happening more and more. And it's very disconcerting. And I felt that's why the Lord led me to do this podcast. and. A lot of that is because people have been mistaught. And these are points that need to be hammered home. So it is my prayer that you guys are really considering what I've said here today. Jesus bless you.
1: Stay safe, guys.